Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the Bible so that we would be able to know you and know your will and know your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray today as we engage with what this uh, part of the Bible says, you would help us to come to a deeper knowledge and appreciation of who your Son is and all he's done for us. Please help us to have uh, better thoughts and better hearts and better uh, intentions for 2015 as a result of uh, what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been doing a little series called uh, Bits of the Bible that are really important. Um, and if you've missed it, that's all right. The other bits of the Bible we've done are really important, but they've all been standalone sermons, so you don't need to sort of understand other bits to, to know what we're doing today. Um, if you haven't got Ephesians 1 to 2 there open in front of you, can I encourage you to open it up and have a Bible in front of you? Because I'm just going to go through this bit of the Bible today. Um, it is a bit of the Bible that I think is really important. That's why I chose it for this series. Um, if there was just one bit of the Bible that I think I would choose to get our church focused for 2015, it would be this passage. Um, have I done something bad? Oh, dear. That's all right. If, uh, I think we're going to have projector problems the whole time, and uh, you know, we'll deal with it and, and go as well as we can. Um, anyway, this, if you don't know Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 in particular, you should. It's, it's a really key part of the Bible. It says so much about all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. Uh, very wonderful, very precious things that we should, uh, we should love and uh, should shape our faith. Um, I want us to think as we start, um, what do you want for 2015? Uh, it's just started, 2015. What do you want? What plans you got? Maybe another way of saying it, what are you praying for? We only pray for stuff that we want to see happen, don't we? we it, it expresses our hearts, our desires for what will come about. What are you praying for? What do you want for the year? Um, this passage, I think, will help us shape those prayers and shape those desires and think more Christianly, think more what God wants us to think about what matters as we engage with the new year together. And, and individually. Now, the book of Ephesians, is a, it, it's a letter that was sent to lots of churches. It's sort of like they read it one church, passed to the next. And it, it kind of expresses timeless truths about God's church, Jesus' church, through the ages. So we're looking at a, uh, a letter that really applies to New Life Anglican Church in Oran Park as directly as it did to those in Ephesus. Um, come to chapter 1, verse 15. Thinking about what do you want for 2015, have a listen to the heart of the Apostle Paul. What does he want for God's people. And this is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit want for us? What does God want for us? This is what he uh, writes to these churches. For this reason, verse 15, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, so they're Christians, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking, here's what he asks, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation excuse me, so that you may know him better. What does he want for them? What's he been praying desperately for them? That they would know God better. It's what we should want for ourselves. It's what we should want for each other. He's preoccupied with this church needs to know God better. It's what we should be preoccupied with for each other. It's what we should want for this church. It's what you should want for your family. It's what you should want for your kids. The first priority for God's people always is that we would know God better because everything else flows from that. Know God better You'll know his will better. We'll know how we should live better. All the other things sort of filters down from that. Knowing God's at the top of the, the, the list, top of the chain. But he gets more specific. Have your Bible open. Have a look from um, verse 18. And he sort of explains a little bit more what that means and what, he, what he's praying more specifically for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. 
in order that you may know, knowing again, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in his holy people. If you're a person who trusts the Lord Jesus, do you know we have a glorious inheritance waiting for us in heaven? Do you long for that? Is that something that is meaningful to you? I think it's so easy for you to get blasé over time about it. So we need to pray. It doesn't come automatic. We need to pray with the Apostle Paul that we would know, that the eyes of our heart would see it, that we'd love it, that we'd want to taste it, that, you know, it's more intensity to it. It won't just be a thing we talk about sort of with glazed eyes. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance that he has stored up in heaven for us. That's the thing in the future he wants them to know. There's also something, something in the present that he wants them to know. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today because that's where the rest of the passage goes. Verse 19. Other thing he wants them to know is about the present. His incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe. He's saying there is a power at work among God's people and in God's people in the present and he wants them to know about it. He wants us to know about it. He wants us to think about it. He wants it to motivate our action and how we engage with life. Basically, when we at New Life Anglican talk about living new life in Jesus, we're talking about living by this power. It's the same thing. It's the same topic we're talking about today. Living new life in Jesus is simply the experience of living out this life of power that God has for us. What's the power? Well, you look at it, and he tries to use lots of power words, and he uses lots of big words. So he's trying to say it's a really, really big, mighty, enormous, huge power, the immeasurable, incredibly great power, the mighty strength, all that sort of stuff. Second thing he wants to say, though, is that power was at work in the Lord Jesus. Have a look what he says in verse 19 to 20. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength, the mighty power, same thing, he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the right hand in the heavenly realms and, and, and so on. It's the same power that was at work in Jesus when he raised him from the dead is at work among believers today. In you, in us, among us, today, in the here and now. Now, the third point I want to say about this power, though, is kind of pretty precise and it'll seem a bit weird and take you a while to get your head around, maybe. Um, here's the point. It's worth understanding. There's only one power. There's not lots of doses of it. Um, it isn't a quantity you can share out. There's one power. There's one operation. It's, it's a problem with how we understand the word power. So when I think of power, I think of a power socket, a thing in the wall, and it doses out power, right? I plug something into it, and power comes out of it. You can plug lots of things into it, and more power comes out of it. And so I read this, and it sounds like it's saying, way back when, well, in around 33 AD, um, the Lord Jesus um, was plugged into this power socket of power and power went into him and raised him from the dead and today we plug into that same power socket and the power comes out to us as well. It's like it's an amount you can dole out uh, to, to different people. We all just plug in and they aren't really related to each other. They're just two examples of the same thing. But it isn't saying there's one source of power. It's saying there's one power. There's one working, there's one operation. What it's saying is, you know how Jesus has risen from the dead? You know how there's power at work in you today? That's the same thing, exactly the same thing. It's the, the same operation, the same working, the same life, the same life force. Those two powers are actually the one power. To use our power socket analogy, um, if it's a power socket on the wall, there's only one plug. Jesus is plugged into it, and we're plugged into Jesus. It's not that you can get this power without Jesus. You get it through Jesus. God's divine power in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is still at work to the, in, among those today who are connected to him. 
Have we got the projector going? Good. It's, it comes with a, a, this, this funny idea in the New Testament called union with Christ. Now, we've got this tree here. Um, is that, are those leaves lots of different lives or are they one life? It's, this is the concept. There's one life in that picture if you ignore the grass. Uh, there's one tree. It's one organism, right, with one life force flowing through it. That's, that's the picture we've got. God's people are united to Christ. They're the leaves. The trunk is Jesus. And the same power that brought that trunk out of the ground gave life to the leaves later on because they were connected to the trunk. Do you get it? It's saying the same thing with us. Jesus came up on the ground. That mighty power that worked in Jesus is presently at work in making the leaves and giving life to the leaves so they'll flourish and be green, all that kind of stuff. The power is actually a person. His name's the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't split him up into doses. It's a person. He's uh, one person, and he's one of the reasons we're united as God's people. But this same power, this same Holy Spirit that was working Jesus is presently at work in God's people. And that, that Holy Spirit, that power, raised him from the dead from crying out loud. And he's presently at work in us, the same power. Now, going back to this uh, union with Christ thing, there's actually four concepts I've done last year on um, union with Christ that's worth just quickly uh, revising over. Because you see them all the way through the book of Ephesians. When we talk about union with Christ in the New Testament, you really need kind of four ideas. Um, we talked about how Jesus is alive and there's life force flowing from him by the Holy Spirit to other people. So that's kind of what that's supposed to illustrate. There's, by connection to Jesus, like the tree, the life force flows from Jesus into his people. There's some other ideas that we see in the New Testament that you see in Ephesians here in chapter 2 that are a little bit more strange. Because we're united to Jesus, we participate in Jesus' story. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And because I'm united to Jesus, I died on the cross. I raised from the dead when he rose from the dead. I, I was ascended into heaven when... It, it sounds very strange, but that's what it says, and we'll see that in the passage. If you're a Christian, the old sinful you died on the cross in 33 AD. That's, that's what it means. We live in a new location under the realm and rule of Christ. Christ is the king and we live in Jesus' land. We live under his authority and rule. That's a more obvious one. But there's this other strange idea, the, the harder ideas are on the right apparently, um, called incorporation into Jesus' body, the church. It's kind of a metaphor. It's Jesus is there. We've got this body here. This body, if you can't tell, is made up of lots of little people all joined together to make up a body. Like It's kind of uber Jesus. Um, and you've got Jesus is the head of the body. So it's kind of that organic connection like the tree. All these people are the body of Jesus and he's the head who directs them and tells them what to do. And they're kind of part of Jesus. They're an organism with Jesus now. That's what Jesus' church is. We're united to Jesus. Now, here's the main point. Here's what I want you to understand from all that. Because we're united to Jesus, what that means is whatever you hear about Jesus is true of you as well as his people. If you trust in him, this is true of you as well. When you hear the story of Jesus and learn the story of Jesus, you are learning the story of his people because we're united to Jesus and our, his story is our story. And so this passage, the whole structure of it is, is around that. So in chapter 1 there, uh, 119 to 23, we're going to hear the story of Jesus in three stages. And then in the next passage, we're going to hear how it applies to us. And it's the same story which we're participating in, we're united to, so Jesus died, rose, ascended to rule. We died, rose, uh, came alive, uh, ascended to rule with him. That's, that's kind of the structure of it because we're united to Jesus. So I'm going to map it out visually. So that's not water, that's the sky. Um, 
<laughs> wondering in the, the picture there. Um, here's what happened to Jesus. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 20. This mighty power was at work in Jesus, and we've got a lot of interest because this is the same power that's extended to us as well by the Spirit. Verse 20. He exerted uh, that power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. If Jesus was raised from the dead, he was dead. We have a saviour who really died. It's uh, incredible because this is God's son who came to earth. God's son died. Incredible. If you want to speculate about the metaphysics of that later, tell me about it, but... God the Son came to earth to die for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He was really dead, but he beat death. And death has no more bearing on him. Decay has no more bearing on him. That same human being that came out of the grave in 33 AD is alive today. The same body in heaven. He not only rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven by the power of his spirit. And he's seated above all rule and authority, as we just read. Not only in the present age, but in the age to come, all the more so. He inherits all things the Lord Jesus, and will for all time. That's what our first reading was about. Um, Psalm 110, it talks about the great king who's coming, and he's going to rule everything. Um, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament because it's so obviously about Jesus. It's just God saying, tell me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Like it's, It's about Jesus. He's the great ruler. He's in heaven ruling all things. But Jesus isn't a selfish despot with his power. What's he use his power and his authority for? Have a look at verse 22, and it's absolutely incredible. Most powerful man in all of history. Verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I find that little phrase, frankly, amazing, for the church. Um, You don't appoint people to be head over everything and to do whatever they want for weaker people. Like, do you know what I mean? He's got all power and authority. He can do what he likes. It's all for the church. It's all for us. Isn't that extraordinary? He's directing all of history for the good of his church. And I'm sure you noticed, because of the union with Christ stuff we just talked about, it talks about it in the passage here, doesn't it? All things under his feet, and it appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The church is his body. See, we're united to Jesus. We're one organism with him. He's the head, we're the body, the same power that flowed through him, flows through him, flows through us too now. Then there's this strange little thing in verse 23. Have a look at it. I want you to understand it because it's weird um, and I think it's pretty incredible. It says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It says the church is the fullness of Jesus. What on earth is this fullness thing about? Um, Often fullness is an idea that refers to the kind of the fullness of God's power and attributes, and it's saying the fullness of Jesus' power and attributes live in his church. It's an idea, it's a picture that doesn't really work. Um, Good. I have got this. It's a picture that doesn't really work, because it's it's supposed to be like, so this is the fullness of this water that's in this cup, and the fullness of the water in this cup's in this cup, so that's what it's saying. But then you go, well, this cup's empty now, right? Like, it doesn't work, because we're saying Jesus is in heaven... The fullness of Jesus is in heaven and his fullness extends to fill his church. It's a picture that doesn't really work because the fullness has to move somewhere else, literally. But the point is, it's as if there's been that transfer. The fullness of Jesus' power and attributes, even though he remains in heaven, even though he's fully himself, are fully at work by his spirit in his church because we're united to him. 
It's, it's a little picture, this fullness idea that's very strange, but I think when you wrap your head around it, it's just incredible. The fullness of Jesus is at work in his people and among his people now. Now, the point of all that stuff is that same power that's at work in Jesus, that raised from the dead, put him in heaven, and it made him head of everything, is the same one of the same power that is now at work in you and me and in us if you're a person who trusts in the Lord Jesus. So I've got to say, if that's true, our aspirations for 2015 can't be the same as the rest of our societies, can they? This is the sort of thing that I think we need to think about regularly. Reality is different when you're a Christian because you're united to Christ and Jesus is in charge of everything and the same power that's at work in him is at work in us. And so we need to pray with the Apostle Paul that we would see that great power and work in us and be changed by it in the course of 2015. We should pray that regularly. What an incredible thing that the same power at work in Jesus that has animated his existence in heaven as the ruler of all things for 2,000 years is presently at work among us. That's what it's claiming. We need to want to know that more. We need to want to experience it that, that more. We need, to want to, we need to pray like the Apostle Paul did. I've not stopped praying that you would know this incomparable power for us who believe. Shouldn't we? Isn't it incredible? So we've heard Jesus' story. He was dead, he was raised, he ascended to rule. And so we're united to Jesus and so now we continue the story and the same things apply to us too. First off, we were dead. Have a look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. What's saying? I'll put it on the screen. Human beings are dead in sins and walking a road to death. What's it mean? You're dead, people? It says, listen to it, it sounds like a contradiction. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, or literally used to walk. It's talking about a lifestyle of being, you could say, spiritually dead, having no relationship to God, having only death, eternal death in your future, deserving God's judgment, not able to save ourselves. Dead people don't save themselves and they don't bring themselves back to life. You were dead. And there's these three terribly powerful influences in, at work in people who don't know Jesus yet and don't have his power working in them yet. And tell, the world, the flesh and the devil, and all three are in this passage here, in which you used to live, verse 2, when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. That's Satan. It's an unusual title for Satan, but that's Satan. And verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, or our sinful nature is basically what that means, and following its desires and thoughts. And so there's this conspiracy of powers against people the, there's the world and just how that shapes us to live contrary to God and to ignore him. There's the devil leading people astray in the background. And even our own sinful nature, kind of our, our makeup as fallen human beings, is conspiring against us so that we would disobey God and not know him and we're dead in our sins and can't respond to him. And so it says in verse 3, the end of verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, deserving of God's judgment. But Jesus was dead, and now he's not. And that means whoever's united to Jesus isn't either now. Have a look at verse 4, the, the transition there. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. 
made alive with Christ. So there's this, uh, there's under wrath and so on in the picture. Then we get to the point in the road where Jesus rose from the dead and we rise with him. We come alive with him, able now to respond to God, to live for God, to live new life for Jesus and to await eternal life in the age to come. But Jesus didn't just come to life. He ascended into heaven. And now it's where it gets really messing with your head. Jesus ascended into heaven. So we ascended into heaven too. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it's saying one day you'll be with Jesus in heaven. It's saying you're already sitting with Jesus in heaven. I don't know what your chair feels like this morning, if that doesn't feel like it's actually what's going on, but it is if you're a Christian, if you're alive in Christ, you have been raised up already to sit with Christ in heavenly realms. I'm standing here, not just in a library in Oran Park, public school in Oran Park, uh, in a sort of rainy, humid day, I'm seated in heaven with the Lord Jesus now. But you notice the in Christ language, the union with Christ language all the way through. We share all that Jesus has. We're united to Jesus. We have one life with Jesus. That means if he has eternal life, we have it with him. If he's in heaven, we're there with him. If he's in charge of all creation, we rule with him. If he has an inheritance to have, we have it with him. We share it with him. Everything he has is ours. Where he is, I am. That's what it means to be one life with Jesus, to be united to Jesus, to be that tree, part of the tree that's Jesus with that same power, that same life flowing through you. Where he is, I am too. And that means I know for sure that I'll be with him in the age to come because I'm already there in a funny kind of way. There's a wonderful summary, important point in verses uh, 8 to 9. If you don't know uh, the gospel or you're looking for things that sum up the gospel, verses 8 and 9 are really good verses to memorise and to just know where they are. Have a look what verses 8 and 9 uh, say. Chapter (coughs) 2, it says, For it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. It's by grace you've been saved. You're in the right with God, by God's pure generosity, undeserved. Just to make sure you got the point, he says in the next, he says, it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, came from his end. It's not by works, it's not by anything you did. So nobody can boast about them being better with God because of what they did. God gives salvation to people freely and it's only by grace that anybody's saved. You think, okay, so what I do doesn't matter, right? Works don't matter, good works don't matter. Good works for Christians matter a great deal, as it says in the next bit. But you need to get it the right way around. We'll put these two, some people have seen this before, just put two concepts on the screen. There's salvation, being in the right with God, being part of God's kingdom, having eternal life. On the other side's good works. Um, a lot of people assume that the arrow runs that way, that good works produce salvation. I do good enough, God will think I'm good enough and he'll let me into his kingdom because I deserve it. But we've just read the opposite, haven't we? It's not by works. Nobody deserves to be in the right with God and so nobody will have salvation by producing good works. Doesn't mean good works don't matter. Very, very important. In fact, absolutely crucial. There isn't a Christianity without doing good works in obedience to God. You just have to get the arrow the right way around. Salvation produces good works because the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us and inevitably that will lead us to live new life for Jesus. Have a look at verse 10 and that's what it says. We've just heard it's not by works that we've been saved. Here's the positive side of good works. 
For we are good, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So see, once you're saved, God gives you all sorts of good works to do. He gives you ways to obey him, to, uh, to live new life for him. So to complete a little picture here, ascended <coughs> to heaven with Jesus, because united with Jesus, and there's a new path to walk, a path of good works, not the way of the world, a path of good works, which God's laid out for us. And if you're a Christian, God's laid out for you. We need that to be a fundamental way about how we think about 2015. How are we seeking to do good works God's prepared for us to do this year? Have a think about it. Is it part of your expectation about how you're thinking about this year? I hope it is. If it's not, think about it now. Pray about it. Be praying that you would see God's great power among, in you and among us moving forward in 2015. Here's a way we like to put it at our church. Um, we have a value, which is that we want to be an adventurous church. We don't want to just be safe Christians. I, don't, I think it's kind of a contradiction anyway. We want to be people who are doing adventurous things in service of the Lord Jesus. And so a question we ask under that, kind of, that value is, how is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, shaping your time, your talents, like things you can do, and your treasure? And yeah, treasure includes the stuff you own and your money. How is the stuff we have, time, talents, and treasure, being shaped by the reality of God's kingdom and the reality, to put it the way we had it today, that God's prepared good works for us to do. I don't think God's designed it so you just trip over all the good works you're supposed to do. I don't think that's how it works at all. I think you're supposed to think about it. I think you're supposed to pray about it. I think you're supposed to look at life and try and engage as an intelligent human being filled with the Spirit, trying to serve God as best you can. So use every ounce of wisdom you've got. Pray about it regularly. And so we need to think, how is the kingdom shaping our time, talents, and treasure? Here's the thing I want you to mull over as you think about that uh, moving forward. Um, I want to tell you one of the things that I think is one of the biggest things that stops us doing good works that God's planned for us. Uh, One of the big things that stops us using our time, talents, and our treasure to serve God's kingdom. I think the thing that stops us doing it is that our lifestyles often don't have much time, talents, and treasure left to spare. Is that true of you? We're busy people, right? We don't have much time, talents, and treasure left to spare. And so it's very easy to shrug our shoulders and resign and go, I don't have any of those things uh, to serve Jesus with. I, I can't actually look for new good works to do in 2015. What, the reality, friends, we have to label, and how we proceed with it's up to us, the thing we have to label, though, is that we all have lots of time, talents, and treasure. The thing is, though, they're already invested. We've invested them somewhere, and so we count them as not existing anymore. They're invisible now. But all of us have incomes. We have time that we use during the week doing all kinds of things. Choices we've chosen to make, probably good choices, a lot of them, not having a go at all. But what we need to do is label the package we have. We have tons of time, talents, and treasure. They're just invested all over the place already. And so what we need to do is weigh up the things we've already invested in and say... Are there actually better places to invest our time, talents and treasure than where they are today? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. It's what we need to pray about. Can we shape our time, talents and treasure more by kingdom of God priorities and good works than the the things we're already doing? Because what I can't say to you is you need to do more stuff than you're doing in your life. You don't have time. Your schedule for a lot of us is already full and it will only add anxiety to say to you, now make sure you do good works on top of that. Make sure you try and do more things in 2015. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to take some stuff away. 
in order to add better things in. That's, that's the kind of decision we need to think about. So I'll leave you with that thought. But look again at verse 10. Incredible promise. We're, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's prayerfully engage with what those things might be together. How about I, uh, I pray for us, and I'm going to pray for us what is demonstrated we should be praying for in this particular passage. That we would know God better. That we'd know the inheritance waiting for us in the future, and that we'd know and experience his power working among us in the present. So will you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the eternal life he has, which we are united to in that same power, that same life, the same spirit that flows through us too now as well. We want to pray, Father, that you would give us by your spirit the ability, uh, just greater knowledge of you. We pray that we would know you better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we would know better the great hope that you have in store for us in your kingdom. We want to pray that we would be more acutely aware of the riches of your glorious inheritance that you have for us and that we praise you all the more for it. We also want to pray, Father, that we would be aware and we would see your immeasurably great power working among us who believe. We want to pray and we want to thank and praise you that that same power at work in Jesus is at work in us today. But we want to see that more. We want to feel that more. And we want to serve you better. Please help us to see and know those things better. Lastly, Father, we want to thank you that while we were dead in transgressions and sins, you saved us by the Lord Jesus and made us alive with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Thank you that salvation is by grace, not by anything we deserve so that no one can boast. And we want to pray that as people alive in Christ, we would engage in the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.